The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Podcasts focus on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their career and lives. In this episode, I talked to Alexis Clark, who you're used to hearing from as our show's co-host. But instead, in honor of International Women's Day, we'll be talking to us about the nonprofit organization she works with to enhance the diversity of women in STEM. At EMI, we believe in diversity, and that is why we enjoy celebrating Women's Day. International Women's Day is celebrated in many countries around the world. It's a day when women are recognized for their achievements without regards to division, whether national, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, economic, or political. The theme for this year's Women's Day is Women in Leadership, Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World. The theme celebrates the tremendous efforts by women and girls around the world in shaping a more equal future and recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer at DCI Engineers practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Corona and a master's degree in structural engineering from UC San Diego. And now for those of you that might not know my co-host, Alexis, I'd like to introduce her. Alexis Clark is a product manager at Hilti North America and is responsible for the development and growth of the chemical anchoring product portfolio in the U.S. and Canada. Alexis holds a professional engineering license in the state of Texas. Alexis is passionate about engineering, engaging the next generation of STEM professionals, and empowering women. She has been published in Structure Magazine and Texas Civil Engineering Magazine, delivered presentations at various industry conferences, and is an avid infrastructure advocate. She has held a variety of leadership roles throughout the American Society of Civil Engineers, local, state, and national levels. Alexis currently serves a three-year term on the ASCE SEI Structures Congress National Committee. She is currently serving her third year as president slash chair of the board of directors for the nonprofit, The Gems Camp, whose mission is to build confidence in undeserved and underrepresented teen girls, Black and Latinx in STEM. Alexis will complete her master's in business administration at Auburn University in December 2021 and received her bachelor's in civil engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week. Alexis, welcome to the show. I finally get to interview you. I'm excited about that and to listen to more about uh, your projects that you've been doing. But many of our listeners already know you and I gave you an intro already, but in your own words, can you please tell our listeners what are the things that you do on a daily basis? So the first is my job. As you mentioned, I'm the product manager of chemical anchors for the US and Canada in North America for Hilti. And 
it's kind of funny because I technically have gone to the dark side of marketing. So I'm no longer in engineering or technical roles specifically, but I have a lot of engineers ask me if I still feel like an engineer and I still introduce myself as one when I meet someone new in the professional networking arena. The reason I say that is because, you know, anyone who's on, who's listening to this and who have worked with a chemical anchor before know that it's a pretty highly engineered product. So while I am responsible for driving, you know, development of new product, and while I'm responsible for growing sales of those of those products here in the U.S. and Canada, most of the decisions that I'm making on a daily basis are very much, they require my engineering background in order to be able to make the right choices for what our customers are, those contractors who are actually installing anchors in the field. And ultimately, you guys, the engineers, are, are going to need in order to design these products or with these products and feel comfortable with them being used on your job site. I still get to do plenty of engineering, even though I'm not necessarily designing anything, which is just pretty fun. Daily work can be anything from, you know, looking at different forecasting, uh, looking at markets, how product lines are growing or are not growing, lots of quantitative analysis. I'm often working and actually speaking a lot to either the contractor or the engineer to understand more about what you need or interesting pain points you might be experiencing currently. So I do a lot of just speaking to people and I get to listen a lot and, and learn. It's very interesting getting to deal with, you know, not only customers here in Texas where we're located, but people in the West Coast who are dealing with Seismic and COLA and the CBC and all these fantastic things that don't affect my, my local engineers. Or, you know, people who are up in the Northeast or in Canada, totally different code regulations up there. So I learn a lot. And then most of the time I get to kind of soak up all that information. And then I'm formulating solutions, whether it's for an external customer like you guys, the engineer, or R&D teams who are located in Germany and Switzerland, because we're always trying to, of course, develop what the next anchor might look like. And those decisions directly come from the feedback that I get from y'all. So it's pretty fun. I like it most days. What I always tell people, I mean, that's what's so great about being an engineer. It's problem solving. Whether you're a designer designing or doing a calc or a more senior engineer or even more the product management that you're doing, it's still the same thing. It's you have the technical aspects to know what you're talking about, but then you also now it gets into more of the people solving skills. And end of the day, it's still problem solving. I think uh, for us, that's what makes you know engineering a, a great career path because that's what I always love about it. You're always learning new things and you're always problem solving. Absolutely. And I would make a quick plug. I actually wrote an article recently for the Texas Civil Engineering Magazine about what it's like to be an engineer in a product management position. And if anyone is listening and you're kind of interested in using your engineering skills for something other than design, if you're looking to shake things up or if you're just curious what else is out there, I think that article does a pretty good job of kind of breaking down how you can use those problem solving skills to help an organization in, in a marketing or sales branch. Alexis, I did want to get and talk about your involvement in the GEMS Camp program online. Can you tell us more about that, uh, what GEMS Camp is and their mission and how you were introduced to it? That's a, a really big question. Um, I'll first talk about the GEMS Camp and then how I came to be involved. So what's so cool about the GEMS Camp is it really is a, a very niche organization, but its impact is huge. So I know a lot of us are maybe familiar with diversity and STEM conversation. We've maybe you know been to an SE3 meeting or we've looked at the survey results. And in general, there seems to be this kind of push around students to get into STEM and making sure that that's a diverse pipeline. But what's so unique about the GEMS Camp is that the GEMS Camp stands for Girls Interested in Engineering, Math, and Science, our GEMS. We actually refer to our girls who go through the program as our GEMS. This program is very focused 
on the most diverse groups you can have within an organization in, in North America. And that is we're looking to build confidence in underserved and underrepresented teen girls. We're focusing on Black and Latina girls. And most of these girls come from low income or socioeconomically disadvantaged students. So about 68% of our girls that come through actually qualify for free or reduced lunch. It's 100% Black and Latina girls. We have a great group of ladies that join us. And what's so fantastic about this program is that you think about the fact that we're not only trying to increase the variety of racial and ethnical backgrounds in STEM, but we're also trying to increase the number of women that are in STEM. So this is really a focused version of both of those initiatives in one. The age group that we work with is very specific and very intentional because as many of you may be very familiar with the National Science Foundation or many other surveys, when we look at when girls start to trail off in math and science and their not only their confidence, but also their performance in those studies, it tends to be around middle school, right? That's when we start to hit puberty. That's when there's kind of this understanding of gender roles. That's statistically when we see these girls going through middle school, their grades start to diverge from their male counterparts. And that's when they start to believe, you know, maybe math and science aren't for me. They're fooled that in their classes. They start to have all these um, small microaggressions that basically confirm math and science aren't for you. So we're very intentional about who we go after and the age group that we work with. And what's so cool also about this organization is, you know, when we look at other programs for girls, we think of things like Girl Scouts or Girls Inc., which are general education or leadership organizations. Maybe we look further at a group like Girl Start, which is programming for girls. Um, I know I did that when I grew up um, when I was younger, but those aren't specific to increasing the diversity within women who pursue those or girls who pursue those different STEM activities. And then we think of something so specific like Black Girls Code, which is a fantastic organization, but then we're really looking at a niche group that is Black girls and coding. So it's very much focused on the technical or technology aspect of STEM. We talked about our target audience and what our mission is, right? We're trying to bring confidence to these girls so they can pursue STEM careers. What's interesting about our programming is that it's not just a STEM camp. It's not the same bread and butter you would get in other places around the U.S. There are, because there are already all of these social cues that these girls have experienced throughout their life that say, this isn't necessarily a career you can pursue. This isn't going to your strengths. A lot of these girls don't necessarily have a home environment that helps support them through this programming. The beginning of our programming and throughout the entire course of it really does include those cultural cues. It's a lot about learning and kind of self-reflecting on personal and institutional struggles that these girls face on a daily basis. And we bring that into the conversation. So the programming really is not only focused on these girls, but making sure that they start the program by understanding that we are empathizing with their situation. And when you identify and, and address those risk factors and explain them to these girls and then bring in this cultural competency piece, you've actually already set the stage for learning to really be at its best. Once we've set that stage, we then apply the rigor of really intense academics, math, science, technology, and a variety of different program um, aspects like well-being. We bring in self-defense. We talk about self-reflection and mental health. We really do transform these girls over the amount of time that we work with them where they come out on the other end and they have a newfound confidence in themselves. It's for a lot of these girls, it's the first time that they have met a group of peers who are academically minded, who are ambitious and it's the most amazing thing. I've been involved with for five years now and every group of girls that come through, it's just, it is this transformative experience and they all come out as butterflies at the end of it. It's just, it's so amazing to see. I mentioned, you asked really quickly how I got involved. 
I, like many other STEM professionals or engineers, I wanted to give my time, right? I like to spend time with kids. I like to get them excited about engineering. So I started in 2015 as just a mentor or a, a leader speaker, a role model for one of their lunchtime activities. I came in, I talked about my job as a field engineer at Hilti at the time, and I shared with them my love of engineering. I was so impressed with the girls at that point, and I, you know, I asked to stay in touch. I thought that the organization did a lot of really important work, and I continued to do that over the next few years. And then in 2018, as their board was changing hands and bringing, you know, releasing old board members, there was an opportunity to get involved. It was my first board position. I am still learning quite a bit. <laughs> uh, this is now my third year as chair of the board. I can still tell you it's still very much my first board experience, and I learn every single time what I'm supposed to be doing and, and how this works. It's amazing to be on this side of it where I do get the chance to interact with the girls, but I'm more about how do I fuel this machine that's already so well fine-tuned? How do I step back? They don't necessarily need to see my face up there. It's important that they see women in STEM, but it's more important that they see Black and, and Latino women in STEM. So how can I step away from the stage, but make sure that all the lights are still going and make sure that the show can run and that we get more, more audience members in the seats, right? I think what you're mentioning was kind of the programming when you're growing up and your environment's so important. And if you're growing up in that type of environment, I think you were saying the social cues, I like to call it kind of the programming that you get when you're growing up, all those little things that add up. And I think that's so important that organizations like GEMS kind of gets that programming out. Because if you don't see yourself in that future role, especially when you're a teenager, when you're growing up, then yeah, it's really easy to just mentally shut down and shut that path off. What seems really cool about GEMS is you're providing these role models where they can build that self-confidence. It's like, oh, I see this one person who's doing something that's really great, maybe engineering and science or, or STEM, and they can see themselves in it too. And that's all it takes is when you're still growing up or when you're going through your academics, that's all it takes, that little spark or that little voice in your head that says, oh, these people are doing it. I can do it too. And literally right there, that's when your, your life changes when something like that happens. And I think that's why it's so important for things like this, where Gems Camp, when you can instill that into these young girls and get them on the right path and self-confidence, the mentoring is, that's what's so awesome about it. I always say that there's two elements to that spark. So you mentioned the spark. So one is the representation. I need to see someone who looks like me who is doing that thing that I want to do. So that's always correct. That is the first spark. For me, there's always a second spark. It's someone who is a mentor or a sponsor or something like that. And they're your champion. And they're the person who points directly at you and say, I believe you can do this. And if you have those two things, I think anyone can do anything. You mentioned it perfectly. That's, that's just the problem is we don't have a lot of representatives and we don't have a lot of champions for these groups that don't typically have those resources. I think what a lot of people don't get or if they don't volunteer is, you know, this is someone helped you out, whether you know it or not, throughout your career. And they were volunteering their time to help you out. And then it's when you grow up and once you become successful and you have all the success, you look back and see who got you on this path. And then once you go through a path like this, then it can kind of feed that cycle of, hey, you were giving something or you were helped out. Now it's time that you can give back also to keep repeating that cycle. And I think that's what you're focusing on now with uh, that leadership board position. Why is this so important uh, in your own words about GEMS? 
there's a lot of reasons why this work is so important. And hopefully many of our listeners are also of the belief that diversity is important. Uh, we see in many studies that when we have more diverse teams with more diverse perspectives, the outcome and the results performance of that team is always going to be stronger than a team with more monotone perspectives, we'll say. And so it is important that we have groups that do have these um, diverse experiences where they can bring different problem-solving aspects to the table and bring this forward into a team environment. I do want to share just a couple of really quick factoids about how this applies specifically to the structural engineering group. I'm referencing the SE3 2020 survey results, and I'm just going to bring up a couple of numbers that we can look at to help put this into perspective and why it matters to us in our job um, as in the industry of structural engineers. So in 2020, the number, the percentage of female counterparts um, out of our entire survey group was at 24%. For every one woman, there are three men in the same room. I feel that a lot when I'm in the room and I'm not who we're talking about today. The other number I'm going to bring up is that of the survey respondents, there were 23% that were non-white or mixed race. They don't have any white in them whatsoever, but it means that that's what we're really working with to, to show the breadth of racial and ethnic diversity within structural engineering. So we're very much a very white and very male industry. And part of the SE3 initiative is to help broaden and diversify and make up workforce that really is reflective of the talent that's coming out of engineering schools, because we can look at, at the makeup of the demographic makeup of these different engineering schools that are where we want to recruit our top talent. And we see that the numbers are a little bit better there. So there's some kind of gap between our collegiate levels, our academic levels, and those who are actually in industry. And the final number I want to share is that what makes up that 23% that are non-white or mixed race, 6% are Latinx colleagues. So we do have um, 6% that are Latina and Latino, which is fantastic. 1.3 of all survey respondents were Black or African-American. So 7.3% of our entire workforce is made up of these two groups that are pretty heavily, you know, they, they make up a, a fair percentage or proportion of the American people. And when we say we want to, you know, start to diversify our workforce and have it look more like the people that we serve, and the clients that we serve, there's a pretty big gap there. We've got quite a ways to go. And while there have been improvements over the past five years, the needle hasn't moved greatly enough. We've got a long way to go before we really can achieve some of those aspirations. And if you haven't checked it out, the SC3 survey, I think it's available online, or at least on the website, at least for the past surveys. And yeah, it's really eye-opening just to see what the industry's like. And like you were saying, yes, there has been progress, but there's still work to be done. It's so important, at least to me, to see it because now with social media and everything, you can see the faces of who's in engineering or who's in science. And people see that when they're going on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever. The people that you see, it's the programming that you're putting in yourself. Oh, this person, even though you're not, not doing it on purpose, it's kind of the programming that you're putting yourself in. It shouldn't stand out like, oh, that person is a Black female and, and she's an engineer. It's still like that where it's kind of like, oh, it's still a surprise where why is it a surprise? Because, well, that's kind of what the industry is right now. And the more different diversity that you can put into it, it's then it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, it's it should be diverse and people should be represented because it's exactly what you were saying. You need that not just diversity just because for sake of diversity, but the different perspectives that it brings people growing up in different places, uh, different economic backgrounds, different countries, because the U.S. is I mean, there's so many different cultures. And the more you can represent that with diversity and their experiences, I think even your company is going to be a lot better because you can serve that much more. You can be that much more understanding of literally 
literally who the people you're serving in whatever a company that you're going that you're serving for. So I think that's great. You know what's so fun about this is that you and I are actually in those two minorities of that SE3 survey, that you're part of that 23% that aren't fully white, that are non-white or, okay, I imagine you took the survey and I don't mean to disclose your private answers, Matt, but I imagine that you answered that you were Asian or Island Pacific. I'm actually Filipino. So yep, definitely in that. And, you know, on social media, I get questions just to show you the impact of this stuff that you're doing is, you know, I get questions from people international too about just something that stood out to me was a female engineer. I think she was still in college or whatnot or in high school. I think she was from the Philippines and she was asking, Hey, can I be an engineer too? Uh, I'm not sure if I can do it. Those questions are being asked because they don't see it, but with stuff like this, it was, then I would just go on a whole spiel about, are you kidding? Like half of my office is, is female. And I know so many female engineers that are doing great work. And it was just like, they need that sense of belief or they need that to see it. And that's why I think stuff like this is so important, not just in the US, but internationally. I know Gems Camp is growing so much. Uh, can you go over how the Gems Camp has grown over time and what can we expect in the future? One of the reasons I'm also so passionate about this group is that it's been around for a short while, but it has really gone through an evolution. So we started in 2010. We've been incorporated since then. And it used to be our executive director, Saki Milton, has really dedicated her professional life to this. Um, at the time, she was doing this in her free time. She was still you know, working full time. And she this was a Saturday program for girls. So they would come together. They would meet in a library or on a college campus where they could you know, receive Free funding is a 501c3, so it's a nonprofit organization. And they would just meet on Saturdays and they would do extra math and science tutoring and they would learn a little bit about STEM careers. Since 2010, it transitioned into a week-long day camp over the summer. So instead of a Saturday summer program, this became actually something that girls could do for the full week. And they were there from you know eight to five. They had a little bit more intensive studying that they could be doing. And that's when the curriculum really started to evolve to include things like mental wellness and a little bit of physical wellness. They look a lot at like nutrition and how to take care of yourself, you know, different things that girls in that age group may not necessarily be getting from home or that are myths or misunderstanding about how a woman needs to take care of herself. There's also some things about financial wellness in there too, so that these girls are prepared to then be able to manage their own finances when they eventually leave home, whether that's to go to college or otherwise. When I started, we actually had grown into a residential program. So these girls are now spending the night at a college campus. And for some of them, it's the first time they've been on a college campus. You know, they don't necessarily have older siblings who are going to college. And here they are staying in a dorm. And that's such an eye-opening experience where they get to see like-minded peers who are academically driven and they're living together and they're learning together and they have this community. And it really is the community that's built from these even week-long camps are enduring and very impressive. One of the things that we have seen since we started integrating some of these residential programs is our retention rate is up to 90%. So we target girls who are rising seventh to ninth graders. And what we see is that we have girls who come in as a seventh grader and they're kind of like, oh, you know, I think I want to do STEM, but I don't think I'm that good at math and science. They spend a week with us. They do this residential program. They meet other girls who are in it. Oh my goodness. There are people who also want to do this and they're my age. They're not, you know, wanting to be YouTubers or, or be social media influencers. And they see role models that affirm, I can do this. Someone else has done this. And so then they come back for eighth grade and then they come back for ninth grade, which is awesome. 
So this actually presented us a little bit of a problem a few years ago, because now we had these girls who've been with us for three years and we don't know what to do with them afterwards. So we then added a separate program. That's the STEM Pathways Institute. And that's for rising sophomores who are looking to potentially go to college. And some of these girls are first, first time college students for their entire family. We're helping them prepare for resumes and interviews and college applications and essay writing and all the things that you need to do to become a semi-professional or try to get to that level. And since 2019, we added on a new program, which is a global STEM travel program. So a lot of these girls, like I mentioned, maybe they have never been on a college campus before. Several of these girls, right now we're just in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. These girls haven't left the state of Texas before. Maybe, and if they have, they probably went to Louisiana or Oklahoma. Like it's not like they're going very far. They haven't necessarily had the opportunity to see a lot of the world. So in 2018, we took our girls to Italy and they got to see the viaducts and aqueduct systems. They got to learn about geometry and they got to see all of these things from a civil engineering aspect or a math and science, applied math and science context, be able to put in all this information that they've accumulated over three years. They've been with the program. They've been to it multiple times. They're starting to really become robust STEM candidates. And then they get to go and not only see how these things are applied historically, they're also getting a cultural immersion portion. In 2019, we brought the girls to UAE. So they actually got to go to Dubai. They got to see the Burj Khalifa, which I know all my structural engineers out there are freaking out about. I've never been to see the Burj Khalifa. But, you know, we brought, I think it was 12 or so Black and Latina girls from Dallas, Texas to go see the Burj Khalifa. And the amount of inspiration that that gives you. I mean, I'm thinking at least half of these girls are going to be structural engineers. That's my hope. Having that opportunity that they just, a lot of people from their neighborhood don't necessarily get is eye-opening. And then I think what's funny is, you know, 2020, we had this really big ambitions and we're like, okay, we're going to double our programming every single year. We're going to go to Austin and Lubbock and we're going to go outside of Texas and we're going to do all these fantastic things. And then, you know, like everyone else, 2020 happened. So we since had to pivot and make all of our only in-person programming virtual which we did successfully. We expanded to two campuses. So we had two different colleges that kind of hosted or two different areas that hosted these camps. We're able to actually expand, of course, because we're no longer restricted to a certain room size or a certain number of dorm rooms. We were actually able to expand our programming to a larger number of girls over a larger amount of time. We're really starting to see an increase in the number of girls that we can impact and in the different ways that we can. So we're excited to get back to our in-person programming as much as everybody else is ready to be out of their house and, and go see other people. But in the meantime, we're putting in the work to touch as many people as possible through more digital means and, and potentially even you know bringing the programming to them in one way or another. It's kind of like a mentorship program for all the different phases that you're going through from your seventh to ninth and then What's really cool is that travel one. That seemed really awesome. I think if you want to inspire people, <laughs> you take them to the Burj Khalifa. <laughs> it's not cheap to get to those places, but between the grant money that we raised, the, the corporate sponsorship we're able to attain, I mean, it's hard to pull the funding together because it's not a cheap thing to run, but it's a worthwhile investment. You mentioned that it's kind of cool that all these different girls get to come in different phases. One of the neatest things about the trademark GEMS camp, this week-long residential camp, is that the girls who have then graduated from the program who are no longer ninth or 10th graders actually come back and they function as a TA. So they're getting TA experience as like 11th and 12th grade girls in high school that they can then take into college. In a lot of situations, we actually have college girls who have been through the program and they come back as well. And they're like a lead mentor 
or they're running a portion of the camp. So we really see recruitment and retention throughout the entire pipeline to where our girls who have graduated continue to come back and continue to empower the next generation, which is super cool. I think that even gives them a leg up, like you were saying, because they do have that help and that mentorship, which a lot of people don't, especially if they don't have that type of that organization to where they can basically ask people for help. When I wasn't involved in, in stuff like that, it would be tough to be like, who do I ask? If you have an organization like this, especially where you have like-minded people, like you were saying, it's such an advantage and brings more leaders. It makes more leaders. The leaders get back. So it's a great cycle. Alex, I wanted to ask you, with these types of organizations, why did you personally get involved in this? What was the driving factor? I'm really passionate about empowering women and empowering girls. You mentioned, you know, you have people reach out to you on social media that say, can I do this? I've been really involved in ACE mentor program for the past few years. And every year I find a girl or two who are in our program who specifically just they kind of say, can I talk to you separately or can I talk to you after today's session? And they ask those questions like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there were so many women. You know, I didn't realize there could be so many opportunities for me. And you both do different engineering or, you know, they're still astounded that there's room for them in this industry, which is heartbreaking. I've been involved in a lot of organizations. I love to volunteer my time. I think it's one of the most important things an individual can do is look to the next generation and help those who don't have the resources that you grew up with. I fell in love with GEMS because the program is so well-rounded because these girls leave transformed. They didn't come here to learn a little bit of math and science and then get ahead in the next school year. This isn't a college prep organization. This is really bringing girls this newfound belief that they can succeed. Hopefully I don't start crying. I have a really bad problem with that. Um, I've been to multiple of the graduation at the end of the week when they present a project and seeing them Monday of the week being shy, not looking you in the eye, not knowing how to write an email, not knowing how to like all these different things that we take for granted as adults and they're uncertain of themselves and they're a girl going, they're 13 years old. Everyone is awkward at 13 year old, but these girls are under-resourced and they just have so little confidence in themselves at the beginning and you just see them blossom over the week and, and transform. And then when they're at this graduation and they're excited and they want to talk to you about these things that they've had an interest in in a long time. They didn't just start to like STEM in a week. They had an interest. They just didn't believe that it was a place for them. And when you see them on on that final day, on that Saturday morning, and they're beaming and they're excited and they're enthusiastic and they believe that it's someplace where they can belong, it's just the most amazing feeling. That's It's something I get with a lot of organizations that I spend time with, but for me, that's really the icing on the cake. It is still important in this industry because... I went to, um, it was a structural engineering, but it was uh, for women and it was like a personal development program. And I've heard some of them too, like they would say to me that I've been in this industry for so long, I didn't know other people or other women were going through the same thing I was. Like you were saying, even though we had the statistics, some of them are just in silos and they don't know that there are other people like them. And what's cool is that you bring this early on, that you have a support system no matter where you go you know that you can find or talk to people similar to what you're going through that have the same experiences that and setbacks and all the things that you're going through. It's so important to have that, especially when you're young and when you get into the industry. Have you experienced professional benefits from being involved with GEMS? I think always that volunteering is one of the best things you can do as especially a young engineer, because first of all, when we have young students and they see an older person coming in to talk to them about engineering, they automatically dissociate themselves from the profession because they think, oh, you have to be 
very experienced. Oh, you have to be much more mature. Oh, you have to have so many years of work before you can be in this position. So it is important that we have young faces coming into classrooms, working with younger kids to help um, establish a little bit more of, of understanding because you're going to be a lot better attuned to speak to those younger audiences than some of our older colleagues. First, it's important that our, our young EITs get involved. Second, I think I have learned so much from a board orientation within GEMS, not just giving them my time, but being a one-to-one mentor to a student and then being on the side of fundraising and having to steer an organization that I've referenced in many interviews that have seemed to have gone well because I got the job. Hopefully they didn't say everything was great except for that one question. But from a perspective of being a young engineer, I'm only 30 years old. I've only been in industry for just shy of seven years. And this gives me a different avenue in which to exercise decision-making skills, mentorship and leadership skills, giving back, forward thinking, so many different aspects that are very important when you kind of hit this this mid-level, this 30 to 40 range when you're looking to make that next step. Maybe it's your first step into management. Maybe it's your first step towards a larger amount of responsibility. This is one of those things where you can say, look, I may not necessarily have had this experience in my work history and my roles at this firm, but I have exercised all these things. I've gone out to take initiative and learn how to master some of these skills on my own for a very good cause, which, you know, many employers love to see as well, that you are um, a member of the community and that you give back. And I think the number of skills that I've acquired from being in leadership positions of GEMS has absolutely impacted my promotability and my critical thinking skills and my understanding of the greater macrocosm that is a business, an organization, a department. When you are learning to steer the ship and make sure that you have enough resources and that you're putting people in the right places to succeed, all of those experiences make you a much more valuable professional. Needless to say, and outside of that, I mean, I get to network with people from all different types of of STEM organizations. So if I wanted to, I have lots of contacts with different STEM professionals, different other women from around DFW, from other large corporations. There's all of those standard benefits you get from doing anything is the networking and being able to put it on a resume, but really the breadth of skill and the depth at which I've gotten to execute those and then rely on them for my job has been huge. I mean, if you're looking at it from a professional development standpoint, yeah, the project management, I mean, that's for sure there. And you're not going to learn that if you're just doing calcs all day. I guess promotability, like you were saying, if you want to get promoted, that's one way. To, it's, it's like free project management training where the stakes are low. Go ahead. Go make the mistakes. It's okay. It's not going to lose you your job, but you're going to learn those lessons early on without costing your company money. So if you're talking about professional benefits, that's one of them too. And Another one too is, at least for me, and I think you've already got it, is finding fulfillment from volunteering. If you're in the profession, I don't know, you may get bored with your job or something, maybe you lose the meaning of why you did it. I think if you volunteer and you help someone else, it's really helped me out in terms of you know purpose and finding fulfillment in your work because it's not just you're doing what you're doing and you like what you're doing, but you're helping others succeed in, in whatever area that Uh, you needed help on. And I think professionally, that can give you a boost too. What are some ways our listeners can empower women of diverse backgrounds to pursue a career in STEM or engineering? So this is how do I take action? And I think one thing is, of course, being an ally, that's always a great thing to do is make sure that you are positively contributing to the conversation. That's ground zero. We should be beyond that at this point in my own personal and professional opinion. It's great to say that you support these things, but we need to put a little bit of action behind them. So I'm going to segment my suggestions to two groups. So one is if you're in a a minority of these diversity groups. So if you're a woman, if you're uh, a person of color, if you're a woman of color, 
unfortunately, the burden is still on our shoulders to be the representation that these young folks need. We really have the ability to be the turning point. The density of diversity in STEM has never been higher, which is still sad because we're hanging around a quarter at best for any one individual group of the overall population. So it's still our responsibility to make sure that we are spending some of our time and investing in the next generation by letting others see that we're out here, that we're successful, and that we are fulfilled in our careers. Because again, it takes that representation. It's, it's so critical that we have that. So that's my first call to action is if you're in one of these groups, please give some of your time. If there's a one hour online virtual panel that you can join that you got from your um, university or from a, a professional group that's trying to increase STEM uh, diversity, spend that hour because it will pay back in spades. The second group is if you're not in one of those groups. So if you find yourself in the majority in one way or another, it is not your responsibility to necessarily show up and give the time to be the representative because we need the representation to come from the people who are from these minority groups. And it's not to say that you shouldn't volunteer your time to help others be excited about engineering. You should absolutely spend a day of e-week to go to your local science museum and get excited about engineering. That is a, a fantastic and noble pursuit. But what you can do within the space of creating diversity within STEM means, first of all, educating yourself, learning to empathize with the world that others came from that you didn't necessarily experience yourself. Identify your own biases. There are a lot of online trainings. There's a lot of great articles that can help us understand where those lie. And then after you identify your own biases, actively and intentionally work to reverse them in the workplace so that you're making a face of inclusivity and belongingness for your current colleagues who are either female or people of color, because that's part of the problem now is that even now some of our work cultures aren't necessarily as inclusive as they may be. And it can be things that you have no idea what's going on. So awareness is, is a great first step there. If you are willing to spend your time and don't necessarily need to be the representative in the room, join a board. I don't necessarily need to be in the room for gems. It's great that they see a female, but again, like I mentioned, I'm not a person of color. They need to see more people that who look like them. They need to see women who are of color who are successful in their STEM fields when they're in these different programs. Be on a board of something. If you have time to give, help them get the resources they need. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of volunteer effort. It takes a lot of leadership to make these huge programs, impactful programs work. And when you spend your time to get them the right resources, then those people who need to be representatives can actually go do that instead of having to make the ship run, make the whole program work, and also be the representative. So that's a great way to use your time effectively and make probably the most impact. The last thing that anyone can do is put your money where your mouth is. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a structural engineering professional, you are financially better off than about 90% of the rest of the American public. And putting 10 to 20 bucks a month to an organization is huge. And it, it makes a big impact to those organizations. So it may be, you know, a sandwich for you that's given up a month or a lunch out with a colleague, but it makes a big impact to their bottom lines. For um, Black Heritage Month, my wife and I actually both donated to NISBE, uh, the National Society of Black Engineers. I didn't participate in NISBE as a, as a college student. I wasn't a member myself, but we both gave to our alma mater's um, student chapters so that they had more funds to be able to include and really empower Black students at our alma maters. I'm including one final plug here, which is also give to these younger groups, these organizations that reach out to elementary, middle school, high school students. GEMS does have a GoFundMe page. You can give a personal contribution. And again, literally anything helps. But half of the problem that we see within our institutionalized barriers to many things like people of color come from the fact that they are underfunded, they are under-resourced, 
They can have all of the best intentions in the world, but we all know that without a little bit of fodder, the fire doesn't grow. If you can, if you have the ability to, the slightest bit from your pocket makes the biggest amount of difference to these organizations. Before we end, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about GEMS Camps? We started in Dallas, Texas. We're here in North Texas right now. We are aggressively growing. And if you're excited about GEMS and the work that we're doing, I would say keep an ear out, follow us on social media, and uh, there may be a situation in which we're coming to you very shortly. I really had a, a great time talking more about this. I know this is one of your passion projects and it's really great to see more in depth on, on really what it's like this organization's doing and, and the impact that it's having on people's lives. So I just wanted to thank you and thanks for being on and it was great interviewing you. Thanks, Ben. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 46, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.